here today, which, how many can you say in your own hearts, minds, that you're going through some adversity, that you need perseverance in some way, shape, or form? If that is you, then listen up, for the, because I think God is going to be speaking to you. You ever heard of, uh, it's called an a ultra-marathon. The Ultra Marathon. And uh, this started in Australia back in, well, I'm in particular going back to 1983 during the Australian Ultra Marathon. That was a grueling 544 miles. It was a foot race. So all the competitors that were there at that particular time were young, well conditioned, highly trained for this event. They wore the right shoes, and they had the right athletic gear. Then came along the most unassuming competitor. He was 61 years old. He was a farmer. And he came with a, with a loose white shirt, overalls, work boots, and a hat, a white hat with a little sun flap on the back. And people literally laughed at him as he registered. You're going to run? Why, you're crazy. You can't run this race. You'll be humiliated. So the race started. And five days plus, what, 15 hours and four minutes later, the old farmer crossed the finish line. And the people weren't laughing when he crossed that line. How did he do it? That was the question. And he answered that. He said, I have been a farmer all my life. And we were so poor, we didn't have uh, tractors, we didn't have horses, we didn't have any equipment. And he said, I was the one who would herd the sheep, 2,000 over 2,000 acres. And he said, sometimes, he said, I'd be running those sheep Three days, three nights, I'd be running through the night. He said, I've been conditioned for this. But then he said something I thought was really, really interesting. And uh, he didn't realize that during the race, that the competitors were, would, would run for 18 hours, and they'd rest for six. He kept running. It was like the tortoise in the hare. He, well, they're resting. You know, he kept running. He ran the whole race. He just kind of took a slow jog at night. And he won by, um, what, almost 10 hours. Can you believe that? And here's the kicker, too. This guy was so naive, he didn't realize when he signed up to race that the, winning, the winner received $10,000. So you know what he did? He gave $2,000 each to the next five runners that crossed. Can you imagine that? And so we could say, really, one of the key, key qualities that he possessed to win this race was perseverance. Endurance and perseverance. If we have perseverance, we can accomplish amazing things in life. Listen, God uses trials in this fallen world to form our character and strengthen our faith. So God never leaves us in our comfort zone. So the next time that you feel frustrated and want to give up, 
I want you to consider with me for a while some Bible methods to keep us, help us move on, okay? The first one is maintain an eternal perspective. Let's look at uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 through 18. Therefore, do not lose heart, Paul said, though adverse outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and monetary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporal, what is unseen is eternal. We need to keep that in mind as we go through this message. We need to keep our eyes on things that are what? Unseen. We're talking about the eternal things of God. Amen? Amen. And amen. Paul was encouraged by God's ability to renew him spiritually, even though he was going through some difficult circumstances. We need to remember back in, 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 that, in that particular time, Paul was going through a lot of adversity, a lot of physical limitations. Also, he was experiencing a lot of antagonism uh, surrounding his leadership. Can you believe it? The leader of the church was, was uh, experiencing conflict within the church. That sounds pretty familiar today, doesn't it? You know, sometimes pastors, they'll go through a message of what a week, and they say, well, I didn't get a bad email this week, so I guess everything is cool. Paul was going through that, and he's going through more. Plus, he was going through a very demanding schedule that had taken its toll, and he said in verse 16, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we are being what? Renewed day by day. In spite of his setbacks in life and ministry, Paul, God gave Paul daily renewal, strength, and perseverance to move on. What's your favorite time of the year? Christmas. All right. That's good. I mean, who can argue with that one? Christmas. Mine is spring. I love the springtime because after going through a hard, gloomy uh, winter, barren winter, suddenly in springtime we have new life. You know, we look outside and the leaves are on the trees, the flowers are blooming, everything is good, we're happy, we're, we're going through these good times and, and, and so on and so forth. But consider this, that sometimes we are going through all sorts of issues. The good times, the hard times of life. That's the way life is. Oftentimes, we go through those winter months when things just aren't going our way, when we're frustrated for whatever the case might be. That's what it is. But God can renew and revive us when we see things from an unseen eternal perspective. That's, friends, we need to see that. Far too many Christians forget that. They get so hung up in their worries, they forget God. We need to look at life through that internal, eternal perspective in our hearts. My brothers and sisters, 
I can't say that enough. You know, when you get rattled, Christians should not. Let me say this. Christians, we all have our issues. We know that. But I believe that Christians should not stay down for very long. Now when you have a Lord that we have, if, we're down, if you're down too long, then you need to get back and find that eternal perspective. Amen? Number two, take life one day at a time. Matthew 6, and 34. Jesus said, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Of its own. And listen, to me, at verse 33, Jesus hits the nail right on the head. Again. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. God will supply our every need. It's putting God first every day. It's putting God first every Sunday. For us, it's every Sunday. It's being in church. Why do we come to church? Well, for a lot of reasons. But I hope that we come to church to give our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ glory. I tell people, when you come to church, if you leave grumbling about, well, boy, the pastor blew this, and he didn't say that right, or whatever, the music was flat, oh, the prayers were so cold and so canned, whatever, whatever, then you've got a problem. God has something for everyone when we come to church. If we seek him first, he'll work through all of our flaws, won't he? So that's why with, I say, pastors, hey, when you're up here, when you're preaching, don't get, you know, don't get so tied up in knots, your own knots, because God is the one that we're trying to please here. God is the one that we want to bring glory. God is the one that can get us out of our stuff. So once we keep reminding ourselves of that, then that is really wonderful. I'm going down a rabbit trail here, but whatever. I tell people, when you come to church, if you have trouble with the pastor, or you have trouble with whatever the music, whatever the case might be, pray before you hit the door and come in. Pray about it and say, God, what is it that you want me to get out of this service? What is it that you want me to get out of this message? Lay that on my heart. I want to learn something about you. And the amazing thing is, Jai Lee, it works. God will give you something. I'm not picking on Jai Lee. Said she's, she's bored. Whatever. I'm just saying that God will give you something to hang on to, to take out that door. Because that's what he wants to do. He loves you so much. Amen? Amen. You know, that's really so true. Um, so it's putting God first every day, putting God first in our giving. Some people don't want to hear that. In our offering, it's putting God first in our decisions. What we do every day and our choices that we make. We always put God first. Amen? I keep saying that, and that's, this is not just for a pastor. This is for all of us. We are all in this together. It doesn't say in the Bible, this is the set of rules for the past. Well, we talk about leadership. I should probably walk that back a little bit in 2 Timothy. But by and large, we're in this together as brothers and sisters in Christ. We're called to encourage each other. We're going to be talking about that in a few minutes as well. But, but you see what I'm saying? 
it, it is just putting Christ first in all. When we do, amazing things happen. Now, I want to look at verse 14 again. Therefore, Jesus said, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. How many times have we heard that one? You know? Yeah, we say, yeah, we, and we grumble sometimes. Oh, Jesus, yeah, it's easy for you to say, you know, why worry about tomorrow? But geez, these come from Jesus himself. If God knows our needs, then why worry about tomorrow? Then why worry about tomorrow? Sometimes we fret over difficult situations in life. I'll give us that. We do. And sometimes, you know, it's okay, it's natural to get, be concerned, isn't it? I'm not saying that we're perfect. But getting tied up in knots doesn't cut it. When we reach a point as Christians, when we're so tied up in knots with worry, it's making us sick, it's driving us crazy, God is saying, that's not healthy. That's not good. We need to back off and learn at this point, to really to trust him totally and completely. It's taken one step at a time. I look out and I see all of you here. And if I would ask each and every one of you, do you have battles in life? And if you said, no, not really, I'd probably, I would not say it to your face. I'm thinking, hmm then you better let the rest of us know what your secret is. We all go through our stuff, our battles, and you have your story. I have my story. You know, it doesn't matter how strong you are in your faith, you will go through battles. It is what it is what it is. But I'm going to share something with you very, very briefly that has helped me go through my battles in life. And I, I really believe that God can help you. He can use this to help you. And for some of you, it's going to say, I, you know, I understand what you're saying. Then I'm going to say, then you've got to apply it to your life. It's easy to say it and understand in your head, but you need to apply it to your life. Amen? Uh, I remember going through all sorts of trials in situations with a daughter with going through a, a, a serious illness. And I remember God taught us, and we were baby Christians at that time, and taught us one thing that has stuck with us as, a, as husband and wife, and that is to take it one step at a time. It's putting one foot forward, then the other. Then the other. Don't look beyond that moment, we learned that. Because if we looked at the, at the storm, it would have consumed us. So God says, no, no, no. You look right here and now. What's going on right here and now? You know, for all of us, having said all of that, that if you are going through your tough stuff today, remember Jesus' words. Don't worry about tomorrow. When you find yourself worrying about tomorrow, then that is your discernment to stop and say, Lord, I'm starting to worry about tomorrow. It's, start, it's starting to consume me. You have to stop. 
in the name of Jesus, you have to stop and allow him to put it in perspective. What it is, it's taking life one day at a time. Whatever it is for you, take it one day at a time. Be in the moment. Your moment is now. Your moment is here, right now. Whatever you're going through, be in your moment. Be in your moment. It works. I'm just saying, it works. Number three, hang out with encouragers. Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Okay. I look out here, and some of the, what I'm going to say here doesn't affect most of you, probably. But as we grow older, it doesn't matter, you have teenage problems. Okay, then you get out of the teenage realm, then you have young adult problems. See what I'm saying? Then you get married, then you have marital issues. You have kids, then you have kid problems. You see, all of us go through these phases of our lives, and you're in your phase right now. My phase is... Friends who are gravely ill or friends who are mentally ill. That's, that's my stage, where I'm at. And currently, I know on Wednesday night, our prayer team, we've been praying for our friend Sandy. Sandy Petrelli is my wife's best friend. Sandy was there for us over 40 years ago when we were going through our stuff. Sandy is the one that brought my wife to the Lord. So she's been very, very important to us. They, those two have been kind of like glued together. They would do Bible studies together through the years. They would do women's prayer ministries together. Everything. Sandy was, I say was, is a very brilliant woman. But is, it just tears us apart to see how dementia has overtaken her. She is just a shell of the woman she used to be. So God has called us. We, I've talked with Jan about this. And Jan's pain says, I cannot let her go. She was there for me. I need to be there for her. So we get together on a regular basis to help them. Her husband is a wonderful, he's still... They've been almost adult life friends. And can you imagine what he's going through right now? He's going through, it's like, it's like he's grieving. He's lost his wife. What does she do all day long? I'm sharing this with you for a point. She, one thing she can do, she can play the video games. So I said, what, Dennis, what, what happens? He said, well, 
She plays her games. No conversation, just now and then a tidbit, and she plays her games. Isolation comes to my mind. He's been isolated. Who's supporting him? Lonely. He's lonely. You know, those two things. Now, getting back to what, what Solomon Solomon says, in our struggles or just living, we should not go it alone. It's not healthy besides God doesn't want us to. That's one of the advantages of small groups. We're really ready to launch small groups. And from my perspective, small groups are absolutely awesome in a church. They serve a variety of ministries. They help us. You get a group of people together and you encourage each other. You challenge each other. You bid each other to grow. You pray together. You study together. You fellowship together. And again, you challenge each other when there needs to be challenged. See, people need to lean on others. We need to learn to lean on others. In order to grow in our strength, our perseverance, in every area of our lives. That's why small groups to me are so, so, so important. We need each other. Church, it disturbs me when I see what's going on today since we've had this pandemic, what have you. More people are what? They're mainstreaming, aren't they? They're not coming to church. I don't know what the percentage is now, but it's very high before. That's not the way God intended church to be. We are a fellowship. Why did Jesus call 12 disciples? Why did Jesus form his own small group? There was a reason for that. We need to be together. We need to engage each other in a variety of ways. Amen? All right. Break time, number four. Here's one that I just, through the years, you know, sometimes you just have to just walk away. And sometimes as a pastor, you just have to walk away. And I'll hear people say, not you guys, by the way, so you're cool. And they can't come to church because they're too busy. Or they can't get involved because they're always just so tired. I'm just so tired I just don't seem to have the energy. Well, some of that, yes, maybe. Or I hear pastors. I'll say to a young pastor, well, you know, are you getting your rest? Well, what do you mean? My ministry, I'm so busy, they had me doing this, they. And whenever a pastor says, they had me doing this, they're ragging on the congregation. They had me doing this and doing that. They expect me to do everything. Are you getting your rest? What do you mean? I'm working 70 hours a week. I don't have time for myself to have rest. Well, guess what? Guess what? If that pastor takes a rest, that church is still going to survive because it's God's church. None of us are above that. This church is not about me. It's about him. And God says, you need your rest. You need it. Jesus needed rest, so do we. 
Besides, look at one of the commandments. You know, speaks of resting on the seventh day. Now, I want to go into uh, Psalm 3, verses 5 and 6. It's kind of interesting here because uh, here we find King David. And David's got a boatload of problems here. He said, I lie down and sleep. I wake up again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens and thousands drawn up against me on every side. You ever toss and turn, can't sleep during a crisis? I can't sleep. Ah, I got too much on my mind. Well, how about David? David was surrounded by thousands of enemies. They were all over. And so what did David do? How did he get he rested? Because he knew that God had his back. What trust? What trust? We say, we say, well, that's David. I can't have trust like that. I can't have faith like Paul. Why can't you? Why can't we have that kind of trust in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? You know, that's a cop-out when we say, well, that was for them, but not for us. It is for us. But God is screaming at us to trust him in everything. He's screaming at us in love. Why won't you trust me? You're trying to do all this on your own. And I'm right here for you. It's, sometimes it's like watching what? We ever watch a dog? We had a new, new dog in the family. And when you come and see the dog, the dog gets so excited, it starts running all over the place. Up and down the furniture, up the stairs, down the stairs, just going around, just zip, 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 zip. Sometimes I think that's the way God watches us. He's watching us like you know, we're on the maze, and we're doing this and doing that, and we're just running into ourselves, running into everybody else, and we're so frazzled. And God said, here I am. I haven't moved. That was David. You see, David understood that. So he is surrounded, but yet he could sleep like a baby. Wow, that is absolutely amazing. God wants us to trust him in our rest. You need some time off? Then take it. Find your rest. Do it. Couples, husband, wife. You say, man, I just don't have time for my wife, my husband, whatever, because I'm so busy and so tied up with kids, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that's true. I'm not, I, had, I had kids too. Find a date night. I love date nights. Find a date night where, mom, where husband and wife just get together. And just the two of them. It could, be a, it could be a dinner, candlelight dinner at home. You know, where, you know, one thing is one, one really great about husband and wife and they have their date nights. When, the, when your kids see that you're having a date night, that makes them feel real good inside. You know, I remember, Ron, when we used to have our date nights years ago. And when one of the kids would walk in, we'd say, this is mommy and daddy's time. You go watch whatever it is, that, what they were doing. And they'd kind of smile, you know. And, and that makes them feel good when they know mom and dad feel good about each, about each other. Amen. Vacations. How many take vacations? If you say, well, I don't, I'm afraid if I don't take a vacation, I'm going to put my, uh, maybe I better put my hand up because not he's going to criticize me. Take a vacation. Find the time to do that. Find your vacation time. And as a matter of fact, 
Jason, we were just talking about that a little bit. What are you going to ask me? What are you going to do, you know, anything going on this summer? Find the time, people. Find the time to get away with family or whatever. Take your vacation. I remember uh, this, you know, when, when Chris and Sue were taking their vacation, I talked with Chris and Sue and how excited they were to get away. Then I talked with Levi and Anaya, and they're all excited. They had it all planned out for the kids. Okay, our first night we're going to go to Indianapolis. We're going we're to we're spend the night there, and then our next day we're going to be doing this and that. And all the family was excited, and as well they should be. And then Chris and Sue were going to have time. They're going to have time to be alone, to kind of do a second honeymoon thing. Bravo! That's what God wants. We need to get away. We need to find our time of rest. You guys have the wedding next week. The Hanlons, yay! So if they get to, you know, daughter's getting married. But there's also time to get some rest, get away from things. That is so cool and is so healthy to do. So you're persevering, you're going crazy because you're all tied up in knots. Mm. No, then you need to do something, do something for yourself. Okay? Rudy, I'm waiting for you to say, Pastor, it does not get any better than this. <laughs> I thank you and appreciate your sincerity. You know, I do. See, we need to be refreshed body, mind, and spirit. I really believe that. And I know from past experience, I've been a pastor for so many years, and when I was young, I did crazy things as a pastor. I would work these crazy hours, right? I can, I get too, can attest my daughter and my wife. And, and I realized through that, I learned something. First, I learned how stupid I am for doing that, but then got me, see, you don't have to. Now it's kind of, you you're not working so many hours, but you're trying to work smarter. Does that make any sense? So that's good for all of us. The last one I want to share, number five, is the mindset of persevering. From Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3. And I want to read that, and I think it's very important what, uh, what, the, what the writer says here. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, let us fix our eyes, get this, on, in verse 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, entered, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose what? And lose heart. The writer talks about a mindset or a focus, if you want to use the word focus, a focus of perseverance. A key phrase here is found in verse 1. Run with perseverance, meaning to bear up under trials and stress, to press on when the going gets tough. The Christians in, in the Hebrews passage here, they were, they were going through times of testing. And verse 2 encouraged them and should encourage us to fix our eyes on Jesus, to strengthen our faith and give us hope 
Now, these verses, if you really look at it, they picture an arena. And we have the spectators. And who are the spectators? They are the cloud of witnesses. Abraham, Joshua, Noah, Moses, Paul. You can go on and on and on and on. And then we have the runners. Who are the runners? The runners are us. The runners are us, the believers, going through our stuff right here and now in the present. That's what the writer is talking about. It's talking about us being just there. And if, and if, uh, if Christians, if we are to win the race, then we must do, I'm going to go back to verse 1b. It's interesting. I'm just going to say this. I'm, just so, I'm so rambling. It doesn't matter. You can put a fork in me. But I remember in, in, in I don't think it was a preaching class or whatever, it always said, well, if, you, uh, if you're going to use a, a scripture again or whatever, if you're not using the whole scripture, then it's either 1A, B, or C. So we're going to do 1B. See, I still think, remember things from my seminary days. Amazing. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. I love that because we all go through the obstacles. Some of you in life, some of you are going through some unforgiveness. Maybe some of you are just uh, filled with guilt. Maybe some of you are filled with anger. You're filled with so much pain. Maybe it's jealousy. Maybe it's pride. Whatever it is, the writer is saying they can weigh us down, making it harder to run. That's why we need to keep our eyes on Christ. That's the writer. Keep our eyes on Jesus. Consider all through Jesus' ministry, he was confronted with one trial after another, one opposition after another. And how did Jesus make it? We can say, well, because Jesus was, was God, it was easy for him. It wasn't easy for him because he was God-man. He took on the characteristics of a person. He felt the pain. He felt the separation. He felt all of that. So how, how did he make it through? I think one of the, in part, he made it through when, as I look at verse 2b who for the joy set before him, again, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scoring its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus overcame the cross. His joy is to intercede for us before the Father. Do you ever consider that? Jesus has joy. His joy is us. We are his treasure, you know. Wow, his joy offers mercy, forgiveness, uh, grace for us, encouragement for us. And one day we will live with him forever. I'm going to close with verse 3. Reminds us that if we fix our eyes on Jesus. So let's read this. Okay, we're going to do verse 3 again. If we keep our eyes on Jesus, the Bible says, you or we will not grow weary or lose heart. When you feel like giving up, look to the cross. When you feel like giving up, look at the empty tomb. When you feel like giving up, 
Look at the ascension. And Jesus is before the... When you feel like giving up, look at his love and sacrifice for you. Pray to him. Look to him. And learn from his word. Pray, look, and learn from his word. Then you will find peace. In the midst of your turmoil, you will find peace, grace, mercy, forgiveness as you run your race that God has for you. You will be blessed. Jesus said in closing, in this world, we'll have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. You will experience persecution. It will come in a variety of ways. But Jesus said, don't let that get you down. You keep hanging in there. You keep working out your salvation. You keep working it. You keep working it every day. And you get stronger and stronger in your faith. Can you praise God for your, what you're going through? Can you praise God for your worry right now? Can you praise him in your heart? By praising him, you are really affirming and trusting that he's going to work it out for your good and my good. Praise him. Don't keep asking him for things. Praise him for what you're going through. I guarantee you when you do that, then you'll be like that runner that was running that marathon. You'll be doing amazing things that will be unbelievable because of your Jesus. Lord, we praise you and thank you so much for who you are. I thank you, Lord, that right now, Lord, that you are ministering to your people. I pray, Lord, that you just bless them, those that are just uh, hurting, Lord, those who are just trying to hang on, those who are so frustrated, those who are just so confused, Lord, and they feel like giving up. I pray that they will look to the cross. They'll look at the empty tomb. They will look at your love and sacrifice that you made for them. Oh God, give them what they need, Lord. Give them hope in the midst of their turmoil. Give them joy in the midst of their sorrow. And give them victory as they run their race. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.